I've used to try to help uh, couples and have actually used this during uh, many of the uh, wedding ceremonies that I've done, some of these verses. But really, when you look at this passage, I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 25, the Bible begins by this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now notice verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning, what's the rest of that verse? Christ and the church. church. Now, a lot of times we come to this portion uh, because it's dealing with husbands and wives and the the, the relationship there we call marriage. Of course, the first institution that God instituted was the home all the way back in the book of Genesis. But when you come to this portion of Scripture, a lot of times that's the focus is Husbands, love your wives, and and so on. But when you get down to it, really, it's a great passage to help us understand this this metaphor that we're looking at. This is the series we've been going through on Sundays. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about what these, these verses and other verses this morning talk about, making reference to what oftentimes we call the Bride of Christ. Now, you know, there's a lot that is said about this matter of being the Bride of Christ. And I, I want you to understand that, that we, uh, we, and I, I was spending some time with one of our men yesterday, and a lot of times we talk about this fact of, of being a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And uh, there is a false teaching uh, among ba- some Baptists who believe in something that's known as the Baptist bride. In other words, they believe that only Baptist folks are going to be the bride of Christ. You, Listen, folks, that is so far from the truth. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, it's just, I, I, I would have a hard time even substantiating that claim. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, I, look, you might not agree with this, all right? But I believe that verse that I just quoted so much that I believe that if someone is a Presbyterian and they put their faith in Christ, and if somebody is a Mormon and they put their faith in Christ and Christ alone, and somebody's a Catholic, and they put their faith in Christ and Christ alone, I believe they're going to be in heaven someday. So, you know, the Bible says, for whosoever. See, religion is something that man has come up with. It is not something that God has created. Uh, The Bible, when, when you read about those that were saved in the New Testament, the Bible says they were first called Christians. Uh, So understand this morning that when we get saved, we become a part of the bride of Christ. Now, I love the the metaphor, the picture here, because a bride is a beautiful symbol of pure love. A bride is, uh, and and, you know, again, uh, weddings are kind of interesting because a lot of times you go to weddings and, and you, you know, sometimes I just, 
I'll look around while I'm sitting there, and of course I'm focusing on the bride and the groom and so on, but you look around and you see many women who, whether they're single or married or whatever, and they're all sitting around crying. I mean, they're just crying, you know? And it's just, it's kind of an interesting thing, but you think about a bride, a bride is a woman that delights in giving her love to her groom, but not only giving her love to her groom, but having that same love that she's giving to him to be returned unto him. It's a reciprocating kind of love. And the text this morning that we read compares the church to a bride. And of course, God or God's son is the bridegroom. Uh, you know, my, my wife was talking to me. We were, she was reading in her Bible. We were discussing some things. And I love the fact that there's, there's a, and I won't take you to it this morning, but if you remember, before Jesus began his earthly ministry, there was a man by the name of John, we oftentimes call him John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was one that as he was the forerunner of Christ, he introduced Jesus to this world. John's message was repent, turn from your sin, turn towards the Lord. But here's the beautiful picture that the Bible gives us is that John is the one, now our culture's not like this, but John actually is the one that, that, that actually took the hand of the bride and the bridegroom and put their hands together. He's the one that brought them together. God used, the Bible says that, that John prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. And so when we think about this matter of the church being the bride of Christ, I love the fact here that as you think about the bride and how important the bride is, the bride wouldn't be anything without the bridegroom. See, where would we be without the Lord? Because when you think about love, uh, the world has a twisted, perverted kind of love. But can I tell you, the very essence of God is God is love. And as we consider God being love, the Bible says in so many ways, God has expressed his love toward us. In 1 John 4, 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You know, God loved us while we were unlovely. Uh, there was nothing good about us. As a matter of fact, God got the short end of the deal, didn't he? When I think about who I was, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and to me, it's a, it's a privilege to be a part of the bride of Christ. So when you think about love, true love is more than what we oftentimes as humans, it's more than emotion. It, the truth is, it's actually an action verb. That's what love is. Think about that verb I just quoted, God commendeth, there's the action. See, man didn't love God, God loved man, that he sent his only begotten son. So this morning I want to look at, with this analogy from Ephesians 5 and a couple other places, some characteristics that we can see when we look at us being a part of the bride of Christ. Notice, first of all, and this goes right along with even the thought of even a wedding today, is it begins with the preparation of the bride. Now, you know, you think about this, they're, they're thinking about that big day. Right now, if you go to my house, on our refrigerator, uh, we have an invitation or an announcement or what they call save the date. You know, they've just gone crazy with this type of stuff. Uh, they, they do these computer countdowns now. 
uh, where it's, it's a constantly running clock that tells you how many days, how many hours, how many minutes, how many seconds, how many nanoseconds until that big day, right? And uh, my, my niece is, is going to be married on September the 9th, and, and we've got that wedding uh, announcement there. And, and, and until her wedding day, what is she doing? As a bride, she's preparing herself. She's getting ready for the big day. There's so many details. You think about it. I remember when we got married. You know, it's been uh, 35 years almost that, that was since we got married. And I remember doing something like this. Listen, the only thing I care about is marrying you. So listen, you can do whatever you want. Now, part of me regrets that because of some of the stuff that we ended up wearing, you know, but, but nonetheless, honestly, none of that mattered to me, you know, and I remember that big day. How many of you remember what they call the dinner jacket look? Remember those days? And so all of our guys had black pants, white jackets, all the girls had, um, they had uh, pastel colored dresses we, just to let you know, our big day was a big day because we had 25 people in our wedding. Every, uh, of all the, the bridesmaids, of every color, there were two, two women wearing the same. So there were two ladies wearing pink. There were two ladies wearing like a real light green, like a mint green. There were two wearing yellow and, and on and on and on. Now guess what? Those white dinner jackets with the black pants, they had a cummerbund and bow tie that matched those dresses. Boy, we look good, you know? I was just glad I, that my wife wasn't wearing a pastel color, so I didn't have to wear a pastel color. But nonetheless, that, that's just the way it was. There's, there are so many details, decorations and flowers and all these types of things to make the big day, the food, and on and on and on. Why? Because the bride wants her special day to be perfect. This is like the day that every woman dreams about. She thinks about all of her life. Well, if we are the bride of Christ, and if we love Jesus, how many of you love Jesus this morning? Okay. Now, you know what that means is if you love Jesus, then you want everything to be right for that day when your bridegroom shows up. You want all the details. To, are you with me this morning? You understand the analogy here from the Word of God. We want to make sure that our preparations are, are right. Well, where do we start our preparation? Where does it all begin? At salvation. How many of you know Christ is your Savior this morning? See, that's when you began preparing yourself. But not only does it begin at salvation, but it actually is carried forward in our lives as we surrender ourselves to His will in our lives. Most of you know Romans chapter 12. Look at these verses. Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, brethren, that by the mercies of God you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Look at these words. Holy. Acceptable to who? To God. Notice, not to each other. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what kind of service? Look, the word there is logikos. God says it's just logical that you are living a holy life because you are a part of the bride of Christ. He says that, that you are living a life that is acceptable unto God. And he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect. There it is again. 
You know, that's the, that's the kind of life that God wants for his bride. And look, we, we prepare for our heavenly bridegroom. Well, how do we do that? Every day of our lives, we need to be daily surrendering to God's working in our lives. It's just reasonable, right? Look, did you save yourself? No, you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, right? And, and we owe a great debt. And as a result of that, God says, look, you need to be preparing yourself. Well, how do we do that? Two ways. One is, notice, first of all, there has to be the preparation of the heart. The preparation of the heart. Uh, we must take the matter of coming into God's presence. Listen, folks, as we come into his presence, we've got to take that very, very seriously and very reverently. You ever think about that when you pray? That when we pray, we come boldly before what? The throne of God. You come into his presence. See, I think that's the problem with a lot of Christians is we don't realize when we come to church, we're coming into the presence of God. This is God's house. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the people of God. We're assembling together to meet with God. Do you realize that when you come to church, this isn't a social gathering? Now, certainly we have fellowship while we're here. But as we think about this, there has to be the preparing of the heart. Do you remember when Moses came before this bush that was on fire, but it was not consumed? And he was told to do what? Take off your shoes. Why? Because it was holy ground. What made that ground holy? God. I mean, look, he didn't, he didn't argue. He didn't say, oh, come on, you know. You know, I mean, that's just the way a lot of people are today when it comes to coming into the presence of God. They act like it's just coming into the presence of just any other person in their lives. Look, we're talking about the creator, the God of this universe. Moses comes before God. He comes in the presence of God. Listen, what we need to do in our lives is, first of all, realize who God is. And secondly, realize who we are. You know who we are? We're sinners saved by the grace of God. And when we come before him, folks, listen, you had to understand that when that great high priest would bring that, that offering on the Day of Atonement, listen, he needed to make sure his heart was right with God before he stepped into that Holy of Holies. And when we come before his presence, we need to make sure that our heart is prepared. Listen to what Moses said in Exodus 3 and verse 11. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know, you find that same kind of talk and dialogue between other people in the Bible. For instance, David. David said the same thing. In other words, God, who am I? Solomon, his son. Similar conversation with God. You know, who am I? You ever ask yourself that? Who am I? God, why do you love me? Why did you save me? Anybody else have these kind of conversations besides me? Listen, a lot of times I think to, to myself, why did God do what he did in my lives? And a lot of times we think, well, who are we? And can I tell you who you are this morning? You're a creation of God. Can I tell you who you are this morning? You're a sinner by nature, but you are valuable to God, and God wants to use you. Isn't that amazing? 
God wants to use all of us. And as I think about this this morning, a great illustration to help to understand this. Look at this parable, and I won't share the whole thing, but in your notes there, the parable, of, uh, it says here in Matthew chapter 25 about the bride being prepared. The Bible says in verse number 7, then all those virgins arose. By the way, does anybody know how many virgins there were? Ten, right? And so the Bible says, and they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, and by the way, there were five of each, it says, they said, the foolish says to the wise, give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. Now, oil in the Bible is sometimes a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. And remember, when you get saved, who took up residence in your life? The Holy Spirit of God. See, it's clear evidence that you are a child of God, that you're a part of the bride of Christ. And so here's these foolish, but look, there are so many people today who are foolishly believing that the church they go to or the things that they do or the money that they give is enough to get them to heaven. And I want you to look at this because here's what they, they said, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy the foolish, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, that's the foolish ones, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. You know what that means? We've got to be prepared. Our heart needs to be right. We've got to be ready when, when Jesus comes back for his bride. Everybody with me this morning? Hey, listen, this is not a sad thing this morning. This is a joyful thing to think about the fact that we can be waiting for the return. Those five virgins, they did not prepare themselves. They put off getting ready. You think about how many people, like Agrippa in the Bible, who, who said, look, I'm hearing what the preacher's saying. I'm seeing what the Bible's saying, but I'm not quite ready yet. And I tell you, listen, the Lord could come back today. Don't put it off another day. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, trust Him today as your personal Savior. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, we've got to prepare our hearts for the day that we're going to meet the Lord. Look at Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him if thou seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Look, we've got to prepare ourselves. The bride has to, first of all, prepare her heart. But notice the second thing when you think about preparation is there must also be a preparation of self. Self. Because look, if we're a part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, collectively, then each one of us individually must make sure that we're ready. I know that a lot of ladies, I hope not too many of you guys know this show where, where a bride will go and she'll try on about a gazillion dresses until she says what to one of the dresses. Yeah, I, I didn't hear any men's voices right there. That's good, that's good, that's good. Guys, even if you knew the answer, it was good that you didn't say it right there. 
You know, she's got to find that one dress. And, and, that, and she thinks about not only the dress, the flowers, the jewelry, or her hair. I mean, look, in her life, she's got to make sure that, that herself is, as a bride is already. And as the bride of Christ, our lives need to make sure that they're pleasing to the Lord. Look, everything about us, you, you think about this, uh, you, you think, do we have a picture here? No? Can I give another picture? Hello? No? Guess not. All right. So, so look, we think about how that we need to be pleasing to him. Look what the Bible says, 1 John 2, 28. He says, now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, look at these words, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. And here's the picture right here. So you think about this, uh, oftentimes you think, and, and I've, my wife's had that show on before, and, and I'll see there, and it's kind of weird now, because ever so often a lady, will, they'll say, now what kind of dress do you want? And they'll ask all these types of things, and I don't sit and watch the show, guys, so just I don't have to turn in my man card. But the, every now and then they'll say, uh, the, the bride will say, I, I want a, one day I heard this lady say, I want a black dress. There, there's different colored dresses now. Now, what is the standard color of a bride's dress? White. Again, the picture, the symbol of purity. And you think about this, this is, you know, when our lives are pure, a holy life, an acceptable life, it's pleasing to God. That when he appears, we may have confidence that we're not going to be ashamed at his coming. Look at Luke 12, 40. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour that ye think not. Look, no one knows when the Lord's going to come back. It could be today, you know. Uh, I think a lot of Americans are, uh, I, well, I don't know how many Americans, but I think a lot of them are hoping that it's going to be after the women uh, win the World Cup or whatever it is that they're playing today. But listen, it might be before then. I don't know. You know, but I'll tell you this is that the Lord is coming back. And when he does, look what it says in Revelation 19. It, the Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. Why? For the marriage of the lamb is come. And his wife, look at these words, hath made herself ready. You think about that. That, that means that the church was ready. The church was prepared. How, did the, how is the church preparing itself? Look, folks, we're waiting for the Lord to come back. And until he does, we've got to be preparing our hearts and we've got to be preparing ourselves. Make sure every detail in our lives. Look, don't be worrying about your neighbor. Don't be worrying about your spouse. I've got a full-time job with me to make sure that I'm ready to meet the Lord someday. See, it begins with the preparation of the bride. But notice, secondly, we see the purity of the bride. And you notice those dresses again, how that, that again, she, that, that picture, that white dress there, is a picture of her being set apart for her husband. And by the way, when you study the Word of God, here's what you find is, is the Bible clearly tells us that the Lord desires and He actually expects His bride to be pure and ready for Him as well. Purity for God's people is repeated throughout the Bible. You see this indicated in many places. The book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, and other places, it indicates this. Look at Nehemiah 12, verse 30. The priest and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. 
See, there, there's a time of, of making sure that we're, our hearts are right, that we're, we're ready for God. Turn, take your Bibles for a second, if you wouldn't hold your place here, but turn over to Psalm uh, 51 this morning. Psalm 51, look what it says here. A couple of verses in Psalm 51. Look at verse number 2. David writing here, and the Bible says in verse number 2, look at these words. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David says, look, if there's anything in me, God, I want to get it out of my life. I want to be, I want to be pure. I want to be right. Drop down, look at verse number 7 of that same psalm. Purge, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Drop down, same psalm there. Look at verse number 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Do you get the idea here that God is wanting us to be a pure bride, to be a clean bride? And as we think about this this morning, there are two ways when it comes to purity, and I hope you understand these this morning, because both make sense and both are biblical. Notice, first of all, there should be an outward purity. When that bride enters, and I, a lot of times uh, when, when, when I'm at a wedding or I'm performing a wedding, a lot of times I like to, when she steps in, I'll, I'll look over at the groom, you know, and I, I'll look over at the groom, and most of the time, the groom is just, I mean, he's got, his grin is, I mean, he is smiling, he's excited. Now, every now and then I might not see that because the groom is so nervous, he doesn't know what to do, you know. And I see that sometimes too, but, but boy, when she steps in, it's just a, a beautiful picture when that bride steps into the back of the, the auditorium or the chapel or maybe, maybe an outdoor wedding. But can you imagine what it would be like if, that, if the doors open and the music's playing and all of a sudden everybody stands and turns around and there's the bride and she's wearing dirty clothes, her hair's all messed up, she's not wearing makeup, she has no flowers. I mean, what would you think? You'd be like, does she know this is her wedding day? You might think to yourself, I've never seen that before. But I wonder what God thinks about his bride right now. Is his bride ready? Is she pure? Is she wearing what she should be wearing? Is she... Is she got her life in order? Now, you know, again, you, you, you think about this scenario. The outward appearance, it, it involves so many things, not just dress, our speech, our actions. We need to be pure in our lives. We need to be honoring to the Lord. And, and you think about this. We've talked about this. David, we just read from Psalm 51. David said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Do you get the idea from the scriptures that there's no spiritual bar of soap that we can clean ourselves up with. Only God can clean us up. Now, we can take steps, you know, be in church, read our Bibles, pray, things like that. But see, only God can clean up something that's dirty. And, and when we look at this outwardly, look at the Bible says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, there came a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion. 
put forth his hand, the hand of God, and touched him, and saith unto him, notice these beautiful words, I will be thou clean. See, that leper could not shake the leprosy. Only God could clean him up. Leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin, and leprosy is something that, that both manifests uh, itself outwardly. You know, you see it, it's outward. And so, you know, I, I know you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, Pastor, doesn't the Bible say that the Lord looks on the heart? Well, sure it does. You know, David was a man that had a heart for God. Listen to what Matthew Henry said. He who is not shy of the appearances of sin, who shuns not the occasions of sin, and who avoids not the temptations and approaches to sin, will no, not long abstain from the actual commission of sin. Folks, there needs to be an outward purity. But notice, secondly, there's also should be an inward purity. It, look, it is possible to act and look right, but have the, but, but have the right, uh, excuse me, it's, it's possible to, to act and look right without having the right inside. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we, you know, look, just because I got a suit on this morning doesn't make I'm a, be a better person than somebody walks through the doors in something that's not a suit. The dress doesn't make the Christian. See, the heart, I'm a firm believer that if the heart is right, if the inside is right, the outside will be right. See, so many times, even among our movement, they place such an emphasis on the outward. And again, I think, there's, I think there's some substantiation to that, but understand that the outward is an outflow of what's on the inside. Look, when you got saved, God changed your heart. God began to work in you, and God's work is manifesting itself from the inside out. Are you with me this morning? So we've, we've got to understand this. As, as we think about this, the truth will eventually come out in our lives, whether good or bad. Looking right is no substitute for being right. Looking right is no substitute for being right. Look what James writes here. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. See, we've got to be right on the inside. Look at Matthew 15. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from where? From the heart. And notice, those things that come out of the mouth, they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. See, you ever heard somebody say something and then they go, oop. I don't know where that came from. I'll tell you where it came from. According to the Bible, it came from the heart. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. See, if our heart is right, the inside is right, it'll manifest itself. Sincere outward purity is a result of genuine inward purity. See, there has to be the preparation of the bride there needs to be the purity of the bride. Everybody with me this morning? Amen. Look at this last point this morning. And this is something that's a reality, not only for a bride, but for Christians, is the patience 
of the bride. <laughs> I'll never forget when I went to my father-in-law. I've probably told this story a couple times here, but I'll tell it again because it's just something that just sticks with me. But I went to my father-in-law and I asked him if I could marry his daughter. And he looked at me and he says, I'll let you know. And I said, what? Now, I was hoping for a yes. It wouldn't have surprised me if he would have said no. But I would have never guessed, I'll let you know. And I, so I looked at him, you know, being the patient person I am, and I said, so you're going to let me know when? And he says, I'll let you know in three days. I said, it's going to take you three days to decide if I can marry your daughter. Now, we, I'd been around their house. We had kind of been dating, whatever you want to call it, you know, back then. To us, we were dating for about five years, four, four years, I guess. And, uh, and so he says, uh, three days. So I did everything I could to be like the Old Testament servant. I was in the way. I mean, I was, I, every, every time he had to get up to go get something to drink or whatever, he had to step over me in the living room. I mean, I thought he's going to get sick of me and just say, go marry her today. You know, I was just waiting for him to say, and, and he, he made me sweat it out for three days. And after three days, I did, I did the he-man thing, the best thing I could come up with. I, I turned and looked at Joy and I said, look, I asked him and he made me wait three days. He still doesn't give me an answer, so you're asking him this time. <laughs> now, there's some wisdom in that. There's some wisdom in that because he would never say this, but she is the most like her mother and she's probably his favorite. Now, there's some debate about that, but that's my own personal opinion. And I knew that she, that she had him wrapped around her finger, and I thought, surely he's going to say yes to her. And so she went to him. I remember. I was there. And she went up to him like girls do with their fathers. Brother, brother, yeah, they, they're like, she goes, Daddy. I can't do that. I can go up to him and say, Daddy, and he's going to be like, get away from me. And she said, Daddy, she says, it's been three days. And he says, three days for what? And she says, you told us that you would let us know in three days if we could get married. And he looks at me and he says, I'll let you get married on one condition. He says, you wait one year. And I looked at her and I looked at him because we had already talked. We had already been planning. I says, no problem. I said, as a matter of fact, we'll wait 14 months. Because we had already set, that's how confident I was, we had already set the wedding date. And, uh, and so he looked at me and he says, okay, if you wait that long, you can marry my daughter. And, and so I was like, all right. And so we had to wait. Now, I'm going to tell you something, patiently wait. You know, you think about the bride waiting to become the, the, the bride, that big day, the wedding day. Look what the Bible says here in Romans chapter 2, who, and the word who there is referencing to God, who will render to every man according to his deeds to, to them who by patient continuance in what kind of doing? Well-doing. Seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Patient. Here's the bride here on this slide. She's patiently waiting. I mean, she's waited all this time. For 2 Thessalonians 3.13, 
But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Remember I told you, no man knows the day nor the hour, right? We've got to be patiently waiting. Now again, you think about us nowadays on weddings, we set a date. Well, according to the Bible, we don't know the day the Lord's going to come back. Our bridegroom's going to come back for us. So we need to be patiently waiting on Him. Notice, first of all, we need to be patient and waiting for Christ to appear. The Lord shall direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. We need to wait in patient expectation. But look here, Jesus already came once. He came and we call that Christmas. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ. God sent forth His Son into this world. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But Jesus is coming back again. And we need to be patiently waiting. Look at James 5.8. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Look at these two words. Draweth nigh. Folks, I look. I'm going to tell you something. I believe it's getting close. I believe you can see many indicators. I'm not, I'm not being prophetic. I'm not setting the date. But can I tell you, as his bride, he will be worth the wait. I'll tell you what, no bride. She can have the ugliest groom. And I'm going to tell you something. She's going to go, boy, isn't he something? And you're like, yeah, he's something, you know. My daughter called last night. They, were, they had taken their youth group off to summer camp and so we were kind of catching up. She'd been gone all week, and she was telling us that uh, there was a, the, uh, one of their staff members there at their church was had gone to his sister's wedding in Michigan, and, she, and it was, I was I was laughing because uh, her husband uh, it was it was his sister that was getting married, and she said uh, it was like a couple weeks or a couple months ago he went there to meet this guy that that was wanting to marry his sister. And he backed him up into a corner and just got in his face and said, you, it, my, my, my sister deserves better than you, you know, and just let him have it, you know. And, and I was thinking about this thought here that when I think about, uh, you think about the bride and the bridegroom, I think about how wonderful it's going to be because you think about this, what do we deserve? We deserve hell. But because of what Jesus did for us, we get to spend all of eternity with him. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. So we need to be patiently waiting for Christ's return. Secondly, we need to be patient towards all men. You ever get impatient with people? <laughs> Come on now. Uh, I know the old flesh, you know. I, I know you, you're like me, you know, from time to time we struggle with people. You know, I, I struggle standing in lines at, at, at checkouts and things like that. But the Bible says that we, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And I know sometimes that doesn't come easy, but look, ministering to people, listen to me, ministering to people is the reason God left us here after he saved us. We're here to minister to people to help one another, to be patient towards all men. And look, God has been patient with us, has He not? Has He not? He has. And so, look, we too need to learn to be patient with others the way God's been patient with us. And then look at this third thing, we need to be patient in tribulation. And I know many of our church members, many of you have gone through some trials and some tests. Some are going through some right now. Look, the Bible says while you're going through that, that we need to be patient, Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, 
continuing instant in prayer. That means that we need to hold fast our faith in Christ, even under misfortunes and even under trials. Look at Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Saints, Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. In other words, just continuing trusting God, obeying God, continuing having faith in God, even during times of tribulation. Look, when I look in the Bible, I see people like Job. Was Job's faith tested? And I'm going to tell you something, Job stayed faithful to God. I think about Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph was falsely accused by his brothers. But listen, he remained faithful. How about Paul? Paul faced all kinds of obstacles in his life. All kinds of things were said about him. He had so many burdens, but he, he, he uh, continued to be faithful in his life. The Bible teaches that we need to be patient in tribulation. And when we are patient in tribulation, here's what it's going to do. It's going to reveal your and my dependence on God. That's what we see is when people are patient. It's a privilege, is it not, to be a part of the bride of Christ, to be a part of those waiting on the bridegroom. And until he comes, we've got to be preparing ourselves. Well, how do we do that before he comes? Be preparing yourself inwardly, and be preparing yourself outwardly. And as we do that, listen, being patient and waiting for the day of the Lord, listen, folks, because the day of the Lord draweth nigh. How many of you would be okay with you if the Lord came back today? You know, it wouldn't bother me one bit if we didn't have church this morning. We can have church with the Lord this morning. But listen, we are a part of the bride of Christ. I hope next time you look at that passage, or maybe you sit in an auditorium where a wedding is being performed, may you think about the mystery between the bride and, and the bridegroom, the church, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the wonderful picture that we see here. And I pray that you'd help us. God, you challenged me this week as I studied that I personally need to be preparing myself. Lord, I need to be working in my own life uh, certainly, I need you to, to create in me a clean heart. Lord, help me to be pure and, and be acceptable and holy in your sight. And I pray that you'd help us as you're working on the inside, that, Lord, we would, we would talk like and act like and look like what a Christian ought to look like. And God, help us to be patient, patiently waiting on you to come back for us, to be patient with those around us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us in every way to be patient even when the times of testing come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.